0: Love,
1: hope, radio. It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering you to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway Pierce.
0: to all of you. My name is Spiwe, and thank you for taking the time to join us for another episode of the Spiwe Show, where we are talking about successful relationships, an idea exchange for a different kind of conversation about what makes relationships tick. Now, as you can tell by this introduction, this is an adult show where we are talking about adult topics, so please exercise your discretion if you have young ears around. If you cannot join us for any part of the show, it will be available on demand from the website after it airs. So you won't miss anything if you have to go and put the kitties to bed. If you would like to join us on Facebook, look for the fan page, The Speeway Show. You can also send me an email from the uh, website, blogtalkradio.com slash I'm working on a website, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, you can also reach me on Twitter. My handle is Spieway Pierce. In the meantime, if you'd like to follow the show, you can just click on the icon on the blogtalkradio.com slash site, and uh, you will receive future updates automatically. Now, we'd love to hear from you today, so share your thoughts about our topic. You can call into the show at 760 760- Six eight three two six one six. Again, that's seven six zero six eight three two six one six. And we're going to set off our topic for today, actually, with a clip. And um, this uh, really is a, a good setup for our entire show. So take a listen. What if you learn that you need love and then you don't have it? What if you like it and lean on it? What if you shape your life around it and then it falls apart? Can you even survive that kind of pain? Losing love is like organ damage. It's like dying. The only difference is death ends. This? It could go on forever. Well, today's topic is why am I so lonely? According to the Boston Globe, loneliness is becoming a major health problem. Back in 1950, there were only 10% of households that had just one person in them. In 1994, that number had more than doubled to 24%. Fewer than 10% of people aged 25 to 44 live alone but about 25 of those aged 65 to 74 and about 40% of those over age 75 live alone. Some remain very happy, but supposedly only about a third. A 1990 Gallup study indicated that about 36% of all Americans report being lonely, and this negative emotional state affects our health. So what do these statistics mean? Apparently, people who are isolated but healthy are twice as likely to die over a period of a decade as those that are not isolated. The same study cited that isolated men are up up to 25% more likely to die of all causes at any age versus non-isolated men. The odds for women were 33%, so that's 8% higher than for men. Living alone after a heart attack significantly increases the risk of dying. Women who are alone and have breast cancer live half as long as those who do not. So loneliness isn't just about a state of mind. It also has negative physical implications as well. With me today is my good friend, Sifas Nziramasanga, who is joining us from Kansas City, Missouri. Sifas and I go way back. We uh, met and... uh, first got to know each other back in high school in Zimbabwe, which is uh, where he's also from. Our show is live, so if you'd like to call in and ask Cephas uh, a question, please call in at 760-683-2616. Cephas, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, viewer.
0: Well, you and I go way, way back to Zimbabwe. You were born there, is that right?
1: That is correct.
0: And when did you come to the U.S.?
1: I came to the U.S. in 1988.
0: Okay. And what do you do for a living, Cetus?
1: I am a pastor and a marriage and family counselor.
0: Okay. And you've been in ministry for how long?
1: I have been in ministry for the last 19 years. Well, it's a long time. Uh, that is a very long time. <laughs>
0: so tell us about your life experiences and what you do in the context of your of your counseling work.
1: Well, um, I guess first I should say my, my calling in life is first and foremost as a pastor. But uh, while I was studying in, in ministry and seminary preparing to be a pastor, I also discovered my strength uh, as a counselor and the fact that there was a need for more pastors to be trained as counselors. And while I was working and doing this, I'd already been working doing singles ministries since I graduated from college, um, and really singles and, and college-age uh, students. And as time has gone along, um, my own experiences have been that singleness is something that uh, seems to haunt people. Some people, and maybe because uh, coming from a pastor's perspective, a lot of our churches have been so focused on couples and, you know, couples with kids and on families in general, but not looking at how individuals, how singles can fit into not only the church but in the culture and society and what part do they get to play. And I did not get married until I was 32. So I had lived as a single person for most of this time, and I, I was single already, I guess, most of the time, and discovered that as singles, we we have so much more to contribute. Uh, and for the most part, we end up not uh, contributing what we know and uh, using our gifts and our talents to help other people because we it seems like we were almost always segregated Now, what would end up always inevitably is, I would discover a lot of other single people would complain about being alone, because at least looking at, at my experience, I graduated from a college, a, a private Christian college, and I would say probably 65 to 70 percent of the students got married the year, that summer, right after graduation. So when you spend most of your summer or the first years of of college, going to wedding after wedding after wedding after wedding, the pressure is, hey, there's something wrong with me that I'm not married. I need to be married. And you start to feel lonely. And it's not because you're lonely because there's really something wrong with you, as much as you compare yourself with your friends, uh, you know, who have gotten married and, You know, your fraternity brothers, you know, sorority sisters, whatever it may be. And so you have a tendency of starting to think that you've missed the boat somewhere. And especially the longer you go, uh, you know, you get into your mid-20s, your late-20s, you're getting into your early-30s, and we feel this pressure that there is something that is wrong with us. So we invest a lot of time, energy, and money trying to fill this void that we call loneliness. Uh, and in the process of doing so, we, we almost inevitably always find out that we're still lonely after all that. Now, I know. I, I was, I was going to say real quick. One of the things I, I, I discovered is at least when I was going through my mid to late 20s, a lot of a lot of my friends who were single seemed to think the only way to find the to fill the void was to spend as much time at the clubs and, you know. Join, you know, Start going to a nightclub and spend you know, most of your weekends and stuff there, and hopefully you'll connect to somebody, and that'll kind of fulfill this, this lonely bug. And I hate to say it, but they were always wrong.
0: Well, I I thought it was quite interesting that you said that singles had more to contribute than they did because they were sort of wrapped up in this idea that maybe they didn't. What kinds of things or in what? give us examples of, of areas where you felt like there were singles who had something to contribute or more to contribute that they really didn't take ownership
1: of? All right. Here's uh, one of the things, and I said, first, I'm going to be speaking mostly from a pastor's perspective and working within the church. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that I've discovered is in the church is this. Whenever we've got, uh we we have a need for volunteers or a need for people to step up and fill in specific roles. The married people have a primary responsibility firstly to their spouse and to their children. So it's harder for them to fit things into a schedule so they can, you know, show up and help. And the single people on the other hand for, more often than not, we've got plenty of free time on our hands. And all it's easier for us to Move things around in our schedule to be readily available, which allows us to, you know, serve other people, minister to other people. Uh, it it also allows us to be involved in other activities even beyond the, the walls of the church. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the program, uh, uh, the Boys and Girls Club, uh, yeah. <laughs> and all, or, or even the Big Brother and Big Sister program. I know Kansas City's got a, a really good program for that, and we could. So be so effective in ministering to all these other young kids in our community who, you know, they're single-parent homes, you know, whether they just have a mom only or dad only. But it is a great tool to be able to say, hey, I've got all this free time. Why not volunteer at one of these places? It's harder for somebody who's married and who's got a family to take care of to put themselves in a position where they can volunteer every Saturday afternoon to go pick up, you know, some 9-year-old kid and hang out with him and and be a mentor to this child. As singles, we can be probably the greatest mentors to a lot of these young people that are in our culture and our society, the children who need, uh, you know, adult uh, guidance. And especially when you look at uh, children growing up in the inner city who don't have uh, probably some of the better... I guess probably is probably the best way to put it. And all of a sudden you realize that, hey, you know, as a guy, I had to look at it from the perspective of instead of me looking at myself and poor me, I'm single, poor me, I don't have anybody, well, what if I decided to take my time and volunteer in this program and then every Saturday I know I can go spend a couple of hours with this young kid and be a great influence to him. You know, we, we have to start looking at those things. We've got a program in Kansas City. Uh, it's called City Union Mission. It's an organization that takes care of uh, families, uh, you know, who will who become homeless, and they've got a program for homeless men and the like. And we, you just go there, volunteer to help with feeding people, volunteer and just helping with activities. Get yourself out there. Stop looking at inside at you and start looking at outside at how can I be of a greater influence to other people. The more you look so, at yourself, the the more lonely you're gonna feel.
0: So in your in your counseling it sounds like you do work with both married couples and singles. Do you focus more on one than the other or is it about even?
1: It's it you know, as a counselor it's more an issue of where the need is. Uh so I I can't say I spend more time with with either or uh there are times when I seem to have a lot more couples coming through, and you know now since I've I've kind of stepped out of the singles and college ministry, I most of the couples that I'm working with I'm working mostly excuse me with couples right now than I am with singles. But when I was working as a singles pastor, I still had uh, a pretty broad group coming in, and mostly because I was the only pastor on staff who was trained as a counselor, so. I had the couple coming through and I also had singles coming through. And with the new church that I'm I'm heading up now, I just focus mostly on whoever comes in with a need. Now, what I try to do is I try to capture single people as much as possible because having spent in, in 16, 17 years working with singles ministries, I know what they can do and I know what they have to offer. And what I've discovered is this is more an influence of our society and an influence of the culture that we live in that we become very self-centered. Everything about this culture seems to say, you know, look at me, what have I done, what have I achieved? Uh, You know, when you think about it, when you go back for for homecoming reunion, it's always, you know, how are people going to perceive me? They're going to look at it as, what have I accomplished? We have a tendency of looking at ourselves. And really what is the essence of of getting of people getting to defeat loneliness is for them to start looking away from themselves and start saying, okay, what can I do for somebody else, or how am I helping other people? And so I try to teach people that as much as possible. So even in my ministry, uh, even even with the couples, we we still get the same problem happening with couples because just because somebody's married does not mean they're not going to be lonely. And even with those couples, we have to teach them the same thing. You've got to stop looking inward and start looking outward. How can we be more effective at helping other people? Ultimately, we're created to help others, not to help ourselves. So now, um,
0: obviously, your life, one of the things that makes this show unique is that we, use the life manual as our guidepost. And the life manual is whatever, you know, holy scripture somebody might use, whether it be uh, the Christian Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the um, Quran, or, you know, something like that. And uh, it's fair to assume that yours would be the Christian Bible. And I'm wondering, Cephas, if you can share with us what the Bible says about uh, loneliness that might be relevant to our discussion today.
1: Okay, I want to share with you, actually, two passages. Um, mm-hmm. The first passage is actually out of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, to be more specific. Now, this is the same as in the Torah. It's the same as in the Quran, And this is when God has created Adam, and Adam has been working in this garden. Because the first thing that God has done after he creates Adam is he gives him a job. So, men, if you're listening, the first thing that God does is give you a job before he gives you a wife. And he says to him, this is the work I have for you. Now, while Adam is doing all this work, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. And I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, what we sometimes miss is this. When God created man, he created man for the purpose of man to fellowship with him. He didn't create man just for the sake of, oh, I'm going to create a little mini-me running around. He created us for the purpose of fellowshipping with Him. Now, even then, because we, as when God is not necessarily present in the sense that we we see Him and, and feel Him and touch Him, He knows mankind as man is going to have this desire, this need, and He had probably noticed that Adam is wandering around. You know, you see all these animals that are paired up and everything else, and he's wondering, hey, something's wrong with this picture. Why am I out here by myself? Now, <laughs> Scripture tells us that God. To make a suitable helper out of him He put him to sleep, he took a rib out of him And he formed a woman out of him And in fact this woman name is, Who is to be named Eve Because she is the mother of all creation Eve Is, is called a helpmate And not a helpmate But a helpmeet. And a helpmeet is somebody who walks alongside Not in front, not behind But somebody who walks alongside Hence a helper so this okay. and this is this is this is very very important. I want you I want people out there to understand this. God did not say the woman is to be under the foot of a man, and He did not say the woman is supposed to be above a man. Scripture does say that the man is supposed to be the spiritual leader in the home, but there's a difference between being a spiritual leader and being the boss. There is no boss <laughs> in a relationship in a marriage. The two walk together side by side. Now. We, I think a is, lot of people get that wrong, Cephas. Oh, I, um, oh, a whole lot of people get that wrong. That is one of the reasons why I chose to address it right now. Now, we also notice later on, in the, now this is in the New Testament, we see uh, the letter of Paul to the church of Corinth, the first letter of Paul to Corinth, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 through 9. He's talking about marriage. And Paul says, it is not good, or say first he says, I guess, it is good to remain single just as he himself is single. Now, when Paul is saying this, he's not saying that people need to stay single, but he says it is good for them not to marry. Now, Paul was also speaking specifically for the purpose of you can focus, you can spend more time doing God's work if you're single versus if you're married because your attention is not divided. You're totally, completely focused on God. But then, in that same uh, same section, Paul says, but since there's so much immorality, each man... Should have his own wife, and then he also says, and each woman her own husband. Now, when you when you see this, you understand that it's important that even as Paul is writing, the understanding is it's important for us to have somebody, because when you don't have somebody, you're more likely to really fall into temptation. The the church in Corinth was the Corinth was under the Roman Empire, uh, Empire, and there was a lot of immorality. In I guess I can say not too much different from America today However There is all this immorality And Paul is saying in order for you to protect yourself It is wise for you to Go ahead and marry Now we also notice in in, in this same section He goes down in verse 8 And Paul says Now to the unmarried and the widows I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am But if they cannot control themselves They should marry For it is better to marry than To burn with passion now, when you look at this, you notice one of the things, the key verse and the key word I guess I should, yeah, keeps popping up is the issue of being alone. There's a difference between alone and being lonely. And we forget that. You see, Adam was alone. I don't think Adam was lonely to so say, but he was alone. Now, well, now can... let me
0: stop you right there. Hold on. Yes. Here's now, the question I've been dying to ask you. Uh about this whole Adam and God relationship and the entrance of Eve. Here's the thing I've always wondered about that passage. Uh Adam is the one man in the history of time Uh who was closest to God next to the second Adam, right, next to Jesus. So how is it and why is it? that if he was in communion and connected to God presumably all the time and uh-huh. in the most real and tangible way that anybody has ever been, why did he need a companion? Why wasn't it enough that he had that relationship with God?
1: Ah, see, that's now this is where I address your question because just like I said, there's a difference between alone and being lonely. Mm-hmm. God God was addressing the issue of Adam being alone. He wasn't addressing the issue of Adam being lonely because Adam had this fellowship with God that took care of the loneliness. Remember, we as people, as humans, we are created for the purpose of fellowshipping with God. So, yeah. Adam, scripture tells us that God would walk in the garden with, with Adam. So, see, it, it yeah. wasn't an issue of Adam being lonely. However, the issue of being alone has more to do with procreation. It had more to do with God intended for man to fill the earth. Adam couldn't do it by himself. So the woman is brought in, is created, but she's created in and not just for the issue of being one to produce kids, but she is also his helper. The purpose what was the first thing that God said to Adam when he created him? Take care of the garden. So he creates yeah. a woman and she's his helper. She's supposed to work with them in taking care of this garden. They are to work together. She wasn't created to fill a lonely void. She was created to be a helper. There's a big difference. Now loneliness was taken care of, of the relationship with God. Now and this leads me to one of the biggest struggles that singles have today is sometimes we seem to think if I get into a relationship I'm not gonna be lonely. If I get married, I'm not gonna be lonely. And and that's really uh, it's a misnomer because I deal with so many people who are married and they're still just as lonely as they were before they were married. So the key thing is you have to you have to learn to be content being single before you can learn to actually be content being married. So in other words, you got to learn to deal with your loneliness while you're single before you go and get into a relationship and think that, oh, this will solve my problem, because it will not. You know, that is
0: that is that is so insightful because, you know, I was married for 13 years, and I have been divorced for um, three, three now. And okay. the thing that I tell people all the time is that, Many of my single friends, you're exactly right, many of my single friends who've never been married assume that whatever unhappiness they experience must be because they're not married and sure. when I was married, I remember that there were times when I was very happy, and there were times when I was very sad, and there were times when I was extremely lonely and sure. Now that I am single, I am joyous on most days and mm-hmm occasionally I'm not I'm not sad very often just because, you know, God and I talk every day. And so it's kinda right. hard to be sad when you talk to God every day. But um there are times when in my singleness I do experience loneliness. But the thing that I do get is that since I was I was I was emotionally I experienced all of those things when I was married. And since wow. I experience all of those things when I am single, it must not be my marital status that makes the difference. So Correct. you're you're exactly right and I think the benefit for those of us who have been married and are divorced is that then you realize that actually, you know, it's 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 usually there might be triggers that mm-hmm. might be because you're married. So there are times when, you know, if my husband wasn't talking to me and he didn't talk to me for a week, I would get lonely. <laughs> <laughs> right, but oh, yeah. it, it's just—I think it's such an important point to make that it, it, who you are and the level of joy that you embrace is completely independent of
1: your marital status. And, and and while we're in that, one of the things that I want people to understand is if you get into a relationship uh, thinking that it's a way to solve your loneliness you're not going to be happy in that relationship. And you may be happy temporarily uh, and really kind of going through the infatuation stage. You're so excited about everything, you're oblivious to the reality of things. And then once the infatuation is gone and you start to deal with reality, then you realize you're still in the same place you were before that. And unfortunately, many people get married and they're still in that position. And what it leads to is being extremely miserable in that marriage, I believe one of the biggest reasons why the divorce rate has risen so much in this country is because people are trying to fill this void this loneliness, and then when they realize they make, they made a rush decision and they realize that, "Hey, I screwed up. What did they choose to do?" they back out now this is a totally different conversation because when it comes to marriage, and I know you and I have talked about this before when it comes to marriage, you choose to love a person you have to decide. You wake up in the morning and you look at that that man or you look at that woman and especially looking at a woman and she's not wearing makeup and you're thinking, man, <laughs> where did I find this woman? You you have to make a conscious decision. I am going to love this woman. And love is an action. So love is not just, it's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Love itself is a verb. It's an action. You've got to act on love. So when you try to use this, what you think is love, to fill what you, the loneliness that you've had all this time. What you're actually doing is not using love. About what you're doing is using infatuation to fill it. And infatuation, like I said, is is ready. It's the endorphins in your body, your system. You get so excited, and you use you, in your world you're going la 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 la. Everything is so beautiful to you, but when all of a sudden things crash. And reality sinks in, and you realize you're just as lonely, even though you're in that relationship. Mm-hmm. See, because another another person is not going to fulfill your loneliness. You feel, you fulfill your loneliness, firstly, with God, and secondly, through looking outward, to, looking at other people and helping other people and not looking at poor me. Being self-centered is, is the biggest thing that leads to loneliness.
0: Well, with that, uh, that is just a perfect segue to the clip that we're going to play. And um, this is a married couple that is having a discussion about where they are in their marriage compared to where they used to be. Take a listen. So total strangers think we are in trouble. Do you think we're in trouble? You think? All I know is 20 years ago, if you'd put us in a beautiful room with a fireplace and a big bed and it rained all day, we wouldn't be talking about the weather. Well, and thank you for joining us on the Speedway Show. Today's topic is why, why, why am I so lonely? We all know what it looks like in its many forms, and if you'd like to call and ask Cephas a question, you can give him a call at 760-683-2616. So, Cephas, that clip, I think, was just the um, quintessential statement uh, that talks about what you were saying right before we went to it, which is that When people get married, sometimes they get married in a state of infatuation and and this may be what happened to this couple and then 20 years later they're, you know, sitting in a hotel room and it's lovely and it's raining outside and the wife is is recognizing the fact that when they first got married, they wouldn't be having a conversation about the weather sitting in, you know, opposite sides of the room. So the question that I would have for you, Cephas, is is there a difference? in the way that loneliness manifests in singles compared to the way it manifests in married couples?
1: You know, tell the truth, and from at least my experience, my counseling experience, there is no difference. Um, The only thing may be the perception of the individuals involved. They may sometimes think, oh, it's different, but the truth of the matter is it comes down to the same thing. It is already an issue... Of whether you're a self-centered person or you're a person who chooses to look outward and how you can be effective in other people in with couples, one of the things that I've discovered is uh people have gone from the excitement of you know the honeymoon phase of the marriage, and they've been married for a little while, and especially when you've got children as as a father, you know I, one of the things I can tell you it is so easy for my wife and I to get caught up in just talking about the kids your conversations will get down to it's either you're talking about the kids or you're talking about work. And you forget to talk about each other and how to help each other, what's going on with each other's lives. Now what happens is when you're no longer communicating with your spouse, you have a tendency to start thinking to yourself, you know, why do I feel like I'm on, I'm I'm doing this on my own? You start to feel like a single parent in some in some cases. And the more you feel that way, the more you, you start to think you know, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And then if you got friends who are single, you start looking at their lives, and you, all of a sudden you start to romanticize their lives. And you start to think, wow, their lives are so much better. Maybe it is a good thing that, you know, if I had been still single, things would be better. But what all that does is, is it leads you to start feeling as though you're lonely in, in your home. Now, when you take a single person, A single person, especially one who's got married friends, they've been watching their friends who are married, and do you know what usually happens? Um, Your married friends, if you're single, I want you to listen very carefully. Because your married friends, when they are out in public, when they come to cocktail parties or whatever it may be, they almost always portray their relationship as being good. It looks like they, they are having a great time. They have a great marriage. But what you don't realize is, before they got there, they were probably fighting in the car. And the, by the moment the moment they get out and get inside, all of a sudden, they put on our happy faces. The facade comes on. You see, so okay. what happens is, you, 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 I you understand what I'm saying, though? Because what I happens am,
0: is... You are like, cracking me up. You are cracking simple, me up because... That's exactly what I used to do with my husband. We'd fight all the way to the party, and we'd get to the party, and we were just smiling, and we'd get into the car, and we'd fight all the way home. And all the way back.
1: (laughs) And you see, but this is the thing. The single person is seeing these people. They seem like this joyous, happy couple, and (laughs) what they don't know is all the problems that are going on. So now they look at it, and they start, they envy what you have. They start to envy that, and they start to look at themselves, and they start thinking, well, how come I don't have somebody like that? How come I don't have such a nice guy? How come I don't have such a nice girl? And the more you start to look at yourself, then you start to feel lonely, and it eats you up from the inside out. You see? So that's why I say it's not that the loneliness is different between a married person and a single person as much as it's the perception of the individual.
0: Well, you know what's funny, too, is that um, whether you're married or single, somebody there's always somebody out there who thinks your life is so perfect because I noticed that, mm-hmm. first of all, when, um, and in fairness, you know, I, I have to say for, for folks who are listening, I, as I said, I was married for 13 years and, and there were many of those years that were just wonderful, delightful years. So... This is not at all to say that my marriage was, you know, completely unhappy all the time, but what I did notice is that when we really started having problems and it got to the point where we were now telling our friends, I was really surprised at how many of my married friends said, You're having problems? Well, you know, I've been thinking about leaving my husband too. Why? And off they went. And I was really I was really shocked. Or I would start talking to somebody, and they'd say, "Oh yes, I know what you mean. This is my second marriage. This is my third marriage." And I was, I was, I, I would have never known. And so I get divorced, and you know, I've got you know shared custody with the ex-spouse, and all of my married friends think I'm just the envy of you know, their lives, or at least certainly a number of them said to me that they really envied me because I have time to myself when I don't have the girls and I don't have to take care of a husband. And then I have a lot of single friends who said, oh, but you're so lucky because, you know, you were married and you have kids and 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 I don't have kids and I've never been married. So at the end of the day, to your point, Cephas, no matter what your life circumstance is, there is sometimes that sense that... Gee, it's not as good as it could be, as it could have been. And the fact that I had people who were, you know, suggesting that I was so lucky when I was married, when I was divorced, when I am, you know, running around riding my motorcycle, it, you know, it just it right. just underscores the fact that you have to be happy in whatever life stage you are.
1: Exactly. You know, one of the things that you know, I, I I want people to understand. You know, there's this saying in the English language that the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. Well, my response to people is this. The reason the grass looks greener is because on a septic tank. Okay? It's on a septic tank. You don't know what's underneath the grass. It's poop. <laughs> That's why the grass looks so green all the time. So don't look at what other people have and start thinking, well, why do I not have this? Because sometimes we have... We've gotten caught up in, in Hollywood. We we romanticize based on the movies and the things that we see on TV, and we think, well, this is what relationships ought to be, this is what marriage ought to be. The reality of it is what you see in movies and TVs is not what real marriages are about. And as you can see, most of the people in Hollywood have marriages that don't last very long either. So you've got to start looking at, okay, I need to look at me. And if I am so self-centered and I'm focused on myself all the time, I am never going to find happiness. I will never get rid of the loneliness. You know, some of the people that I've seen, some of the happiest people I've seen have been single people who did not care whether they were married or not. They, But they loved to serve other people. They will do, I mean, they'll literally give the shit off their back to help somebody else. And those people always seem to be the happiest people that I've ever met. And when you sit down and you, you talk to them, they'll tell you, you know, yes, I, I do go through some down times. There are times when I feel lonely. But they will tell you this. Whenever I start focusing on other people, the loneliness goes away. So well, stop isn't that interesting? at yourself. Yeah. Stop so I'm going to...
0: I'm sorry. So with that I'm gonna I'm gonna play a clip that I think is actually pretty appropriate to what you just said. And this is I'll call it the voice of loneliness. This is what loneliness sounds like sometimes. thinking about, trust me, you will meet someone else. Yeah, when? Where? All the good ones are either married or gay. She's sweet. I was talking about Bob. Okay, that was a little bit of humor there in the end, but you know, these are these are the and those were actually two clips without one, but those are the kinds of what I'll call the voices of loneliness. The things that when somebody's focused in on themselves that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, my goodness, all I have is my job, it's, all, it, it's my whole life, and and now that this person's gone who's left my life, what if there's nothing better out there? And uh, when am I going to find love again? And there's this sort of almost obsessive sometimes focus on I have to find that, and then happiness will begin. And what we're hearing from you, Cephas, is that's not at all the case. And so, one of the things that I'm wondering, uh, as we're talking about this, is where, whether they are married or whether they are single, how do you see lonely people trying to address their loneliness? You talk about this void that's inside. What are what are what are they doing? What kinds of things? And
1: are are any of those things constructive? You know, there's it uh, there is a broad range. There are people who are uh, Trying to do it the right way, and people are trying to do it the wrong way, majority of the single people who do not have somebody to guide them are doing things the wrong way and when i when I say the wrong way, I'm saying that people who are spending all their time hitting the nightclubs and doing the one night stands and all this other stuff, and they go to bed and they wake up in the morning and they feel just as empty as they were the day before. And it's a cycle, it's a vicious cycle, and they keep going through this over and over and over and over again because they're seeking to find the solution in another human being. And that's not going to happen. Now, you do have people, on the other hand, who have been successful at it, and like I said, the ones who have been successful have realized that you've got to stop being self-centered and you've got to stop looking outside, and start volunteering, helping other people, focusing on other people. And you know, one of the one of the... Greatest uh, Bible teachers that I that I know is a gentleman by the name of uh, Tommy Nelson, he pastor the pastor of First uh, Denton Bible Church. Excuse me, in uh, in Denton, Texas, he did a study on the Song of Solomon, and in the study of the Song of Solomon, this is a great romantic story. One of the things Tommy says is, when at least as Christians, if you want to find the right person for you, you need to be involved in ministry. You need to be serving. And as you're serving, you need to look and see who's running the race with you. You look to your left, you look to your right, and you say hi, and you keep running. Now, farther down the road, a few months down the road, maybe a year down the road, you look around you and you see who is still running. The people who are still running, those are the people you probably need to consider to pursue. Because when you pursue a relationship with somebody who understands that it's important to serve other people, you also understand that you finding someone who's not so focused on themselves and they're less likely to deal with loneliness and you're less likely to deal with loneliness. And you actually end up finding somebody who's more compatible. So, that, now, granted, that's talking about getting into a relationship, finding some a, a good relationship, but it helps you deal with loneliness and it puts you in a position where you can actually meet somebody as well, if you're, at least if you're a single person. Now, if you're a married person and you are lonely, and you're thinking leaving your spouse will take care of the loneliness, let me tell you something. You're wrong. Because you leave your spouse and you're going to be just lonely after you leave him. And you're most likely to get into the vicious cycle of either, it's just not necessarily one night stands it's one relationship after another that is not fulfilling. Even within the marriage, when you look at it and you say, you know what, I'm going to give my all to my spouse, and I'm going to give my all to my family, and I'm not going to stop and focus on, all. Oh, they're not doing this for me. They're not doing this for me. You will discover so much joy, and you will also discover the this, this sense of loneliness is no longer an issue for you. It goes away. And in fact, in the passage that I'd uh, been quoting you earlier on in First Corinthians, uh, Paul specifically says to those, you know, to both the husband and the wife, and he says, the duty. Uh, of the husband is to fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Because the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Now, when you look at it from that perspective, it's not just talking about uh, sexual aspects of the relationship. It's talking about emotional it's talking about mentally. It's talking about, okay, when you are a part of this, you are completely given to the other person. And when you stop thinking, why me? And stop whining and start looking at, you know what? My needs, um, and you start thinking, well, my needs are being met or are they being met? Start looking at, I'm going to serve whether they are going to meet my needs or not. What you will discover is the more you serve the other person, the more the other person is going to serve you. And as that strengthens. you also notice the sense of loneliness also goes away. You stop thinking so much about being lonely and you start to realize the joy comes in serving others and not serving you. Well,
0: um, let's talk about a slightly different component of this. I am wondering, what about social media, chat rooms, networking sites. We have seen this sheer proliferation of tools, uh, electronic tools that are supposed to connect us and and provide more flexibility in how we connect with our friends, how we connect with, how we find um, uh, lovers and, and, and keep and stay in touch. Have they helped Ease our loneliness, or
1: have they just added to it? I think really it's more like they've added to. One of the things I find ironic is that we live in a communicate in a in a society that supposedly has the best communication or ability to communicate ever in the history of mankind, but you find more lonely people today than you find lonely people twenty years ago. That I find amazing. And, you know, almost everybody out there seems to have a, a, a Facebook account. Um, you get on Facebook, it's nice. You reconnect with all the people that you know from back in the day. and Oh, yeah, yippee, yippee, great, fun. But it doesn't take away your loneliness because I don't know about you if you ever noticed on Facebook, uh, majority of the people who put their stuff out there, they're people who are talking about themselves. Your The status update is about you. It's not about other people, not always, but more often than not. Now, I, mm-hmm. I want you to think about this or from the perspective of, because what's happening is w- we have an ability to communicate with people, but it doesn't take away this this innate desire to have somebody. It doesn't take away this innate desire to fulfill, uh, you know, this uh, this loneliness that we have with, within us, or at least some of us have within us. Now, I don't think the the tools themselves, the the social media tools themselves, I don't think they're bad. We we ask me, I, I utilize them, some of them, uh, but for the most part, I realize that whoever you are outside of this uh, Twitter world or Facebook world is the same person you really are out here. Sometimes you some people become a little bit more open, uh, depending on your personality. Um, some people are very outgoing, outspoken type people. They're the same everywhere you go. I've also seen people who are really, really who are introverted and they're very, you know, laid back. They don't, they're shy. They don't talk to people much. And yet, when they get on things like Facebook, all of a sudden they seem to flourish. Now, that may be because they're hiding behind a, a you know, a, a computer monitor, and not necessarily because. You know, it, there's, there's an issue of being lonely or not, and what happens is you just communicate with more people, but it doesn't necessarily meet the needs. Now I see people who who go online to chat with somebody just because they're looking for somebody to chat with, and once again, it's 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 trying to fill a void with people, and not with looking outward and saying, okay, how can I serve other people? And and in in that same line, that's how people in relationships get into trouble. Because if they're married and they go and they're hanging out in the social media side, they end up connecting with somebody from high school or whatever and they end up cheating on their spouse because they're trying to fulfil something that's you know, that's not gonna be solved. Because what happens they'll have that uh quote unquote relationship and it's still gonna be empty after that. And they've just destroyed their marriage. So the loneliness is not gonna be dealt with by social media. Loneliness can only be dealt with by the individual who sees themselves as being lonely. They have to make a choice. They have to choose to care for other people. They have to choose to serve other people. And when okay. one start looking away, all of a sudden things clear up.
0: Well, that is really good advice. And I'm wondering whether for singles or whether for people who are married... Um, you've shared with us the importance of volunteering. You've shared with us the importance of caring from other, for other people, whether it is somebody in your household or whether it is somebody that you reach out to outside of your household and that these are actually, it sounds like, the most effective cures for loneliness. Are there any other suggestions that you would make for what people should do or or, or
1: stop doing? Well, firstly, for singles, my advice for you is you need to put yourself in a position where you do meet other people. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want you to think I'm contradicting myself because I'm not saying meet other people for the sake of getting rid of loneliness, but I, I meet a lot of single people who say, well, I can't meet somebody. Been, I'm having a hard time meeting somebody. This is a more a relationship aspect. You've got to put yourself out there to where you do meet people. Now, yeah. even then... It's being out there meeting people also allows you to meet people that you can serve, that you're more likely to be able to serve. Because once you start to look outside of that, outside of your own personal little box, you know, look at your circle of friends, the best example of that. Look at your circle of friends. You know, you've got the people, I guess third one is a circle of influence, the people that you see and deal with all the time. You first look at that group and you say, okay, who in this group can I serve? If it seems like everybody in that group is perfectly fine, they don't need you to serve them, then that's great. Then look to add somebody else to your circle of influence. How can I help somebody else? So you put yourself in a position where you can meet people. If it means going to church and volunteering in a ministry, in a children's ministry, then great, go do it. If it means finding a a big brother, big sister program in, in your community, go join. Tell them, hey, I've got a couple weekends a month that I can Contribute. You've got to start doing that. Those are the active things you have to be doing in order to address some of these things. If you do not take an active role, then don't expect anything to change. In other words, it's about action. Okay. Um,
0: you know, and sometimes I think opportunities to serve come even when you're not looking for them. Because I remember there was this one day I was, and this isn't really loneliness related as much as it is just being open to serve somebody else, but there was this one day I was supposed to meet my girlfriends downtown at a restaurant. And so I'm walking around, and this restaurant is supposed to be at the corner of something like Hennepin and 8th. And I get to the corner of Hennepin and 8th, and the restaurant is nowhere to be found. And so I thought, well, I'm going to ask the only, I called my girlfriends, and they were already there, and it was probably noisy. Nobody picked up the phone. And so I called, I asked the only person I knew who would know, and I said, okay, God, you know where this restaurant is. You're looking at it right now. Tell me where this restaurant is, because I need to get there. And so I start walking down 8th Avenue, and this woman stops me, and she asks me for some money. And now, when she said, Excuse me, I had the choice of whether or not I was going to turn around and look because I knew this couldn't be somebody I knew. And right. um, I figured this must be somebody who's asking me for money. And uh, so I turned around and I thought, well, you know, why not? So I asked, uh, I turned around and she wants $7. And I said, well, why do you want such a specific amount? And mm-hmm. she said it was because. She needed to stay at the shelter until the end of the week, and her family was sending her money, and it turned out that she had been abused by her husband. Now, this woman, when I first saw her, she was just the ugliest woman. I mean, her face was misshapen. Her skin wasn't the same color. She had some missing teeth and parts of teeth. I mean, she looked awful. And... um when she told the story of why she needed this money, I realized that the reason she looked like that was because this was the damage her husband had inflicted on her.
1: On earth, yeah.
0: And yeah, because he'd been, you know, he'd been evidently he'd been bullying her, and she was, you know, now trying to go home to California, and she had to wait for the money to come. So I said to her, because I figure, you know, nobody is a victim, and you don't treat people as if they're, you know, invalids or victims. And I said, you know what? I'll tell you what. I will give you uh, $7 if you can tell me where this restaurant is. Uh-huh. And she says, oh, girl, yes, I know where it is. And she points me in the right direction. And as it turned out, of course, I was headed down 8th, and I needed to be going down Hennepin Avenue. So I gave her money for the rest of the stage for the rest of the week, and we hugged, and her name was Annie. And we just had just, it was it was a delightful connection because it was like, you know, in her, I saw my sister, and you know for me it was it was the lesson that I never forgot that sometimes when you are looking for something, God brings the answer packaged in a way that you don't expect and it was in right. helping had I not helped her, I'd have kept walking down ace thinking i'm busy trying to find this restaurant, and it would have taken me a lot longer to find that restaurant. So that's what I'm reminded of when when I hear you talk about the importance of helping other people because that might be just where that partner that you're seeking might be hiding and you're so busy running around out here not realizing that it's in helping other people that you might find the answer.
1: Right. Because when you think about it, if you're out running around and you're just thinking about you, 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 you will miss out on opportunities to serve others. And in the the process of doing so, you're most likely to miss out on the greatest blessing as well. So it's one of those things where you have to say, I've got to stop just looking at me. I have to start looking out for other people because that is the smartest thing you can do for yourself.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Cephas, by the way, what does your name
1: mean? My name, Cephas, means rock. It is a biblical name, uh, in John chapter one forty-two, you see uh, the story of Andrew, who was the disciple of John the Baptist, he follows Jesus, and he goes and he sees his brother Simon, and he says, Simon, I'm going to introduce you to Jesus, and he brings him, and Jesus says, your name is Simon, but from now on you shall be called Cephas, which means a rock, and it's upon this rock that Jesus says, I'll build my church. So, it is also, Cephas is Aramaic, and it's translated into Greek as Petros, and the transliteration into English is, is Peter. So, in a sense, my name is Peter as well.
0: <laughs> well, Peter, we could talk all day, but uh, <laughs> we are at the top of our hour just about. So, Cephas, thank you so much for joining us today. To our listeners, I I would suggest that uh, I'd suggest this to our listeners that any time you're feeling lonely, you get on the Internet and you listen to the show, which will be available on demand after the show, because uh, that's what I plan to do Anytime I start to feel a little bit lonely. I think I'm going to just turn on the show and listen to it and remember that I have work to do. Uh, And uh, to all our listeners, remember, everyday people, everyday lives. You don't have to be a celebrity to be a guest on the show because we all have everyday joys and challenges in our relationships. If you would like to be a guest, email me on blogtalkradio.com slash spiway or you can uh, tweet me at handle pierce, S-P-I-W-E-P-I-E-R-C-E. Join us next week when our topic will be I knew we had problems when. One of the lessons good managers and leaders learn in business is that people don't change that much, unless, of course, they really want to and they're really motivated. So in personal relationships, this is also often true. If you have been in a relationship for a while and are feeling annoyed by your partner's flaws, think back to the beginning of that relationship. Can you honestly claim that this person has changed? Or has he or she been the same all along? Did you ignore the flaws? Did you refuse to see them? Did you excuse them? And most importantly, where do you go from here? So join us next week for an interesting discussion about red flags and what to do with them, what to do about them. So until next, uh, next week, this is Speeway saying, go in peace.
1: Thank you for joining us on the Speeway Show. Until next time, live well, live fully, and love deeply.